such a privilege, such an honor, such an awesome morning to just be worshiping with all of you in the house of God. God has shown up in a powerful way this morning, and I believe he's just priming our hearts and our minds and our lives to receive a word from him in season. Amen. My name is Bobby Nemeth, and I am the teaching and discipleship pastor here at Evangel Church. Just want to, oh, thank you. Uh, just want to welcome you all, and thank you so much for being us here in our Scotch Plains location. To those of you in our overflow space, we're so glad that you could be present with us. And to Woodbridge, thank you so much for joining us from Woodbridge. Pastor Les, it was so exciting to row together with your team this week at VBS. It was exciting to get to reprise my role as Dr. Diggingstone, and um, that's a, my VBS character. Uh, and yeah, and those of you joining online, thank you so much that you would allow us, uh, invite us into your homes this Sunday as we get a chance to connect and learn in God's word. Uh, just very welcome to you all. If you want to follow along today in your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Perhaps you're on your phone, open up your Bible app, Hebrews chapter 10. We're in the New Testament there today. Currently, we're walking through a series called Over It. And we have to make some decisions that are over others. In order to make life change in our lives, we have to choose one thing over another. Uh, and that's because we have to give up things we love for things we love more. That's kind of how life goes. And this is all about making different choices, choices that are going to elevate our lives. If Jesus is truly ascended, if he's truly sitting on the throne, if he's truly above it all, and I am called, as it says in Colossians, to set my mind on things above and not below where Christ is seated, then what I have to do is I have to have a different way of thinking because my life is called to take the form and shape of Jesus. As a follower of Christ, I'm called to be conformed into his image, into his likeness, to become more and more like him. And so what we do in this life is we're striving, we're struggling, and we're letting go of the attachments of this world in order to cling to our new life in Christ as we become born again through a life-changing relationship through Jesus. But here's the problem. Pastor Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago. We have heavenly hopes, but we have earthly habits. We have heavenly hopes. We have all these ideals, and we're like, this is who I ought to be in Christ. But then I look, and then I'm like, but this is how I live. And so there's a disconnect. And so what we need to, be, to do is to be reintroduced to an ancient practice, an ancient idea that's going to recalibrate our way of being and help us to live in a way that conforms to the life of Christ. And today, I want to challenge you into a new way of thinking to discover the, not the broad road that so much of the world is on, but the narrow road to, to actually reintroduce you to the idea that we have to build our lives on the word of God rather than on the sand of the world. And the thing that we have to do in order to walk this road, in order to build our life on God's word, is we have to repent. Repent, normally when we talk about repentance, we normally talk about it in the Hebrew idea, which means to turn direction and go a different way. Turn away from the things you were doing and turn towards God. But today I want to also tell you that, that the Greek actually has a slightly different nuance than the Hebrew, and it means to reform or change one's way of thinking. And so today I want to 
propose to you a different way of thinking because today in the world we're in a difficult place in a, in a strange place because there's an erosion taking place beneath our feet over the past 30 years and we've just continued to concede ground to the world around us and we have allowed habits to form in our lives that have withered away at the church at our family's lives and our own personal lives in 1995, the Harvard political scientist Robert Putnam observed an interesting phenomenon. The amount of people that went bowling in America increased. That's an interesting observation. Now, is Putnam like an avid bowling fan and he wants to share the good news about bowling? No, no, no. He's a political scientist, so he's interested in other things. This intrigued him, not because he was an avid bowler, but because he also saw another statistic that happened at the same time. Individual bowling, uh, well, bowling was going up, but participation in bowling leagues was going down. And so Putnam asked the question, are we bowling alone? That was actually a title of a 1995 essay that he wrote and then later in 2000 became a book entitled Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. In his 1995 essay, he was asking the question, are we getting more and more isolated as a society? And he was saying, it seems like the research indicates so, but people are like, no, 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 we're, there's no way we're getting more isolated as a society. I mean, there's book clubs, there's Kiwanis, there's 4-H, there's like all this stuff that we participate in. There's no possible way that we are alone in this world. So... He said, all right, fine, I'll do the research. Let me really dig into this. Over the next five years, he looked at civic participation in communities from around the country, and you know what he found? It was worse than, he, than anybody had even imagined. Civic participation was down across communities around the country. People don't know their neighbors like they used to, their communities like they used to. They don't know their own friends like they used to. And guess what? Putnam's observations came while the internet was in its infancy. Think about this. I was listening to the 1995 lecture that he gave at Harvard, and one of the persons asked there, uh, she's a grad student, and she said, what do you think the internet, as a matter of fact, she said specifically, what do you think email is going to do to this decreasing uh, or increasing distance that we experience with one another? I LOL'd in that moment, just to give you my generation right there. But yeah, so, so in that moment, I just laughed because I'm like, nobody had any clue what the internet was going to do to our, to our lack of connection with one another. I mean, the potential that we have in the palm of our hands. Some of you are taking notes, following along, following in an app. I mean, it's like crazy, the amount of potential. You could actually, right now, if you wanted to, just call someone, video chat them, and they could be here. I mean, our online community is online because of this wonderful and amazing and awesome technology, Woodbridge. We're so glad that you're with us right now. I mean, it's so incredible. So I'm so excited about technology. I'm so excited about the many things that it can do. But yet, despite this tremendous potential, we are just so disconnected. In 2018, a major health insurance company wanted to do a study to see how does disconnection, how does loneliness, how does the feelings that we're experiencing impact our health? It, it's like a reasonable thing for an insurance company to do. So the results were, well, unexpected. 
The study used the UCLA scale on loneliness, which is a 20-question test. And what it does is it, 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 is it measures these subjective feelings of loneliness. If you get a score of 43 or higher, it means that you actually feel lonely. And now we should address that loneliness at some way. So 20,000 people over the age of 18, it's 2018. Guess what the average score was? 44. That means that the average person feels lonely. Let me unpack some of this for you so that way you can kind of understand what it means to feel lonely. 54% of respondents said no one knows them very well. 43% said they felt isolated from others. And 46% said they felt alone either sometimes or always. Researchers who looked at the data, remember this is 2018, said that loneliness in America is reaching epidemic levels. Think about this. We're living in one of the most connected times in history. The potential in the palm of our hand to connect with others is mind-blowing. Let me illustrate this for you. In 2008, I was serving as a missionary in Sudan. And while I was there, I, I happened to, right before I left, I was leading a book study through Mere Christianity. Great book, by the way. Uh, C.S. Lewis. So I'm leading this book study, and we're like, oh, are we going to continue on in Sudan? I'm like, yeah, I'll just Skype call. So here I am, eight time zones away. I wake up at 3 a.m., so church starts at, I think it was church started at 9. So I'd wake up at 3 a.m. on Thursdays, because we worshiped at Friday. And then, and, then, and then I would leave book study for two hours. I'd go to sleep and then wake up and then go to church. So I just kind of had this little interruption of, of, of our book study. But in 2008, I'm in a book club with people back in Jersey while I'm living eight hours away in Sudan. I mean, this is wild, the potential that we have to connect with one another. So let's go back to the survey. 2018, and every parent, students, college age, I need you to listen up. At the time of this survey, 18 to 22-year-olds, these are the kids who grew up with smartphones in their hands. These are the kids that know the internet better than I do. They're true native tech users. Guess what? They express the deepest amount of disconnection. So here we are, all this ability to connect, but we're depressed and we're disconnected. Oh, and by the way, social media usage had no impact on your feelings of loneliness. And remember, this study was done before a worldwide isolating pandemic. This trend obviously continued. Recent research by multiple organizations found that the loneliness epidemic has not been cured, but only worsened that same age group. When they compared data in 2019, they saw that loneliness went up, and 56% of this group, more than half of them, are experiencing feelings of anxiety and depression to where they need to be treated for it clinically. Guess what? Your economic status didn't shield you from these problems. I look at these statistics, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how you feel, but I'm overwhelmed. The problem's so pervasive. The situation seems utterly and outrageously hopeless. But here's the thing. You can't blame the pandemic on this problem. You can't blame the internet on this problem. The trends all existed prior. We as a culture and individuals have made choices over the past 30 plus years that have disconnected ourselves from each other. We've already been choosing isolation. We were already choosing individuality. We were already using technology to replace connection rather than enhance it. I, I really believe somewhere along the way, 
we've buried a basic biblical truth. I, I, I truly believe this. Here it is. We've forgotten that you and I were made for relationship. That baked into the heart of Christianity is connection and community. And today I truly believe that the church has the cure to the epidemic of isolation. That the world is lost and lonely and the only cure for that is connection with God and with humanity. And guess what? Guess who gets to be the light on a hill for that? The church. To a lost and dying world, what's the only hope that we can provide them? A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But you don't have to do this alone. You get to do this with others. We get to be with each other. This is an amazing thing. We get to become family in Christ. Because this is how it's supposed to be done. I mean, the church should look at the world and be like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be done. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. So we have a choice to make. We can either continue in confinement and this problem, or we can get connected in community and begin to reverse this trend right now in the place that God has planted us. Today, I believe that the elevated choice that we're called to make, the choice that Jesus is calling us to, is to make connection our priority over confinement. We need to rediscover the biblical principle of connection, and I believe that we can best do that in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 19, and I'm going to help unpack this for you. So you can follow along with me on the screen or in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Today, I believe that the author of Hebrews wants to teach us something profound in this passage. And that's that you and I were made for relationship and connection in two directions. The first is vertically with God. You and I were designed to be connected to God. There is nothing that can satisfy the loneliness, the wandering hearts that we have in this world other than a real dynamic and personal relationship with God through the forgiving work of Jesus Christ. I, I, I truly believe that. And that's what the author's teaching in verses 19 through 23. And then in verses 24 and 25, he pivots. Because you move from God then to each other. I mean, think about, think about what Jesus says. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's baked into the beginning. You, there is no recipe of Christianity without this. Second, horizontal with humanity in verse 24, 25. As true as it is that Jesus loved you, that he gave himself up for you, almost every you in the New Testament is a plural you. So that means all of our translations should be modified in, in American English to have the southern y'all. Serious. Because that's how you'll get it. I said this in the first service. Nobody, hooked me, nobody, nobody took me up on it. So I'm going to give it to you all because they, no one took me up on it. And I think it's really clever. 
Here's a clever usage of this. Satan has desire to sift all of you like wheat. But Peter, I prayed for you. Plural to singular. Really interesting. Jesus is building a community of followers, and we are called to be a part of that community. We are called to join others as followers of Christ. I always wanted to get a t-shirt printed up. I am a follower. I don't need to be a leader because I'm following Christ. That's what I'm called to do. And then I'm a leader only if other people want to follow me as I'm following Christ. That's at least what Paul thought. So anyhow, so first principle, vertical. Here we go, verses 19 through 23. The author begins with a therefore in this section, right? Uh, On the screen we had an and so. It's, it's, It's a therefore. Summarizing his argument, he begins this argument in chapter 6. So from chapter 6 to chapter 10, verse 19, it's all one basic continuous argument. But he actually introduced that in chapter 3 and verses, I think it's 3, 1 through 5, might be through verse 6. But here's the point. Jesus is our great high priest, he's our perfect sacrifice, and now we can boldly enter into God's presence because we're covered with the blood of Jesus. Now, some of you are like, I have no clue what he just said. He might as well spoke in French. Sacrifices, high priests, blood, like what, what, what are we talking about here? And then others of you are like, of course, Jesus died for my sin so that I can be in a relationship with God. That, that's it. Regardless of where you're at with this, here's what I want to tell you. When the author of Hebrews, because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, when the author of Hebrews audience heard this, they thought it was scandalous. They were like, what? wait a minute, what did you just say? Like, like, what's going on here? Jesus came to give me free access to God? Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. So let me unpackage this for you in just a few paragraphs. The letter of the Hebrews is written to Jews some 40 years after the resurrection of Christ. They've heard the gospel, and now they ask a very difficult question. If Jesus established a new and living way with God, What do we do with the first way? Some of you are like, there's a first way? Yeah, Old Testament, so that's Old Covenant, that's the first way, and then New Testament, that's the New Covenant, right? So so we are Jews, so do we have to stop being Jewish in order to follow Jesus? Because me, so here now I'm speaking of me, me, I'm a Gentile, I don't have to become Jewish to follow Jesus, of which I am entirely grateful. I mean, like, I am so grateful that I don't have to become Jewish. You know why? Because I love bacon. Bacon's delicious. And I think one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible is Acts chapter 10. You know what happens? Peter gets this vision as he's praying, and then a veil drops down, and then all these animals appear, and they're all unclean animals, and you know what God says? Take and eat. And Peter's like, no way, I don't do that. They're unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I've called clean. I'm like, yes and amen, bring on the bacon. (laughs) So, so back to the Jews. God made a covenant with them, which is agreement where two parties come together in a relationship. It's kind of like a marriage, right? So you come to altar, you, you make an agreement like, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to do these things. That's what the vows are. And then what happens? And then a new relationship is formed. It's a marriage between two people. So here's what happens. God forms a marriage with Israel. And God said to them, here's the specific way, the regulated way in which you're going to be able to connect to me. Why? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's a good question. Because God is holy and because we're sinful. 
Sin is like a sickness, and it needs to be quarantined. It's a thing that pollutes us and separates us from a holy God. And we need to be healed, cleansed, and purified from our sin. And, it, and, and it's just as simple as that. So here's the solution. God says, I'm going to call one special family, beginning with Abraham. And you can read about him and his family in the book of Genesis. And then he's the father of this guy named Isaac. And then Isaac is the father of Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. And so this makes up this special group of people that God called to worship him. And he makes a special relationship with them. And according to this covenant, there would be one tribe in this family, and they're going to help mediate worship between me and you. So me speaking on behalf of God and you speaking on behalf of Israel. So that's how it's going to happen. So, so one tribe, they're called the Levites. And in this system, you would have to go to a special place. It's called the tabernacle, and then later on they would build the temple. This is a picture of it. We're going to reference this in a minute. But there you would be able, on the outside of that tabernacle there, you would see places where you could um, sacrifice animals. And that's really important because that's what God wanted to do. So if you wanted to be connected to God, you had to go to this place, deal with the special people who are going to help you offer sacrifices, and God would receive your worship. All right, so let me summarize. There's a special family. In that family, there's a special tribe that helps them to worship the one true God at a special place. Make sense? All right, I got approval. Hopefully online and, and, and Woodbridge that you're, you're nodding in approval too. So now, at this special place, all the people of Israel could go and worship God at the altar. In fact, God told them how to worship with special offerings. And at this place, you can commune with God. The whole goal of this place is that God would be living and dwelling among his people. This is actually what God says his desire is in Leviticus chapter 26. Moreover, I'm going to make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. Why? Because I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. Because here's the thing. God said that at this place that I'm going to establish, this is where I'm going to hang out. This is where I'm going to be. So when you bring these offerings, you're not just bringing them randomly. You're bringing them to the place where I said I'm going to establish my personal and powerful presence among the community. So, so on the outside of this picture, let's pull the picture back up on the screen. So on the outside, there's the place where everybody can go and make sacrifices. Then you go to the tabernacle. Now, inside of that tabernacle, there's a special room. That only this family could go, that one special family can go, and they could worship God. And then on the inside of that, there's a thick curtain that divides the most holy place. So there's like the holy place, and then there's the most holy place. And here's the thing. Let me give you a little Bible tip. Help you understand holy. And why they call it the holy place and the most holy place. In English, we like superlatives. We like best and very, and like we just like to add these words to make things bigger and larger. Well, in Hebrew, they don't add another word. They just stack the same word. So God isn't just holy. He's not just holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. So that means he's holy. He's the most holy. Actually, he's the most, most holy thing that you can ever encounter. And so what we have is the holy place and then the most holy place, because that's where God's personal and powerful presence is. So inside of that very special room, back on the screen there, you'll see that there is, there is this thick curtain that divides it, because that's where God is. And only one time a year could the high priest, the, the most special priest in the, in the special tribe, could he enter in. And the purpose of his entering was to put blood 
on the place where God is dwelling on the Ark of the Covenant, and then through that, the sins of Israel would be purified. They would be removed from the people. So think about this. God dwells among his people, but only one person can enter into his presence once a year. That's it. One person, once a year, from this whole entire community. Super restricted. Why? It's because of our sin. Now here's the good news to the author's audience. Here's the good news to everybody. He tells them something amazing has happened. Now you and I can do something that was entirely reserved for the high priest only once a year. You and I can enter into the personal and powerful presence of the creator of the universe because we who have made a decision to follow Jesus have been covered with his blood. And then now, because it's been shed on the cross of Calvary, guess what? We've been forgiven. We've been set free. We've been been delivered. And it tells us in the gospels that when Jesus died, actually that veil was torn in two, from top to bottom saying now you can freely enter whenever you want because God wants to have a personal relationship with you that's what the covenant's all about he wants a relationship with you so you and I have been made pure when we trust in Jesus and the curtain that divided us from God's presence has been torn Jesus has opened the door to a new and living way The author of Hebrews goes on to tell us that Jesus was acting as the great high priest. And here's the thing. He's not from the special family. He's from a different tribe. That's because God's making a new covenant with his people. He's making a new relationship. And in this new relationship, now we need a new special person. And so God makes a new covenant. He offers a new sacrifice in the form of himself. And and to do this, he cleanses and purifies us from all sin and unrighteousness. I mean, this is the gift. Friends, this is the good news. Because of Jesus and through him, you can know God. And now every person who trusts in Jesus, who places their obedient faith in him, can have direct and personal access to God forever and ever. Amen. That's the gospel, friends. St. Augustine, writing in the beginning of his confessions, says this, you, O God, have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. You and I were designed for connection. We were designed for relationship with God. And that connection must first be with him. I can recall 18 years ago feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling that lack of connection and making a decision to follow Jesus. And there was this tremendous peace, this tremendous freedom that came over me. Somehow my heart was warmed. I was instantly energized. I mean, there was this access to this transforming power of God that I didn't know about. I became a radically different person. And what he did for me, he wants to do for every single person. He wants to set every person free. And he wants to know each and every one of us in a real and personal, life-giving and transforming way. The whole reason God sent Jesus into the world is to give us the gift of eternal life. John 17, 3 says it like this. This is Jesus telling us this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here is the thing about this free gift. He gave us this wonderful, beautiful gift. And it's not just for you to go hoard and just say, it's mine. It's all mine, and nobody else can have it. That's not the purpose of this. When you find it, here's the beautiful thing. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be given to other people. In fact... Uh, in, in my family, I, I know my wife's family does this, and maybe your family did this, and if they didn't, that's okay. Just borrow the analogy from us for a moment. 
My, my parents would give us kind of uh, individual gifts, but then every now and then, they would buy a gift for like the whole family. And so it was a gift that we would all get to enjoy together. So like one year we got a gaming system, and then another year we got a TV, right? So it's just like things like that. And so here's the point. The free gift of salvation isn't something that you're just meant to hoard for yourself. It's something that you're meant to give to other people and share it with others. So you receive it, and then it keeps going on and on and on. It's the gift that keeps on giving and giving and giving, and it gives for all eternity, honestly. Think about this. Jesus calls, his Jesus calls his followers, and it says in Mark 13, this is why he called them. He appointed the 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. So two things, calls them to be with him and to send them out. Now, Jesus desired that his disciples would be connected to him entirely. I mean, that makes so much sense, and I really believe that, that we're meant to be connected to Jesus. But being connected to Jesus also means being connected to one another. He didn't call Peter and say, hey, Peter, on uh, Tuesdays, you and I were going to have our one-on-one, and James, uh, Wednesdays, you got the afternoons, and Peter, I mean, and then Matthew, Monday morning. Like, he didn't go down the list and say, you know, give everybody a time slot for their own individual moment with Jesus. No, we're called together to be with him and grow in relationship together with Jesus. And when we look at the rhythms and the habits of the early church, we, this is what we see. We don't see them just like, oh, I connect vertically with Jesus and then I don't do anything with anybody else. No, we're called to connect with one another as well. They don't confine themselves by themselves, just the original 12, and they say, well, listen, if you didn't make a decision to follow Jesus while he was here, you don't deserve to be in our club because only us 12 could be in it. I mean, like, really? No, they didn't do that. See, I believe that the answer to the isolation the world is feeling is the church stepping out of confinement and into connection. We need to live out this connection, not just vertically, but horizontally in the world to one another because you and I were made for relationship. Why does the early church address us as brothers and sisters? Because something happened when we met Jesus. We were transformed. We were born again. And now we are a family united through the blood of Christ. And when we embrace this, I, begin, I believe that the world will truly begin to experience and embrace the freedom that can only come from a personal relationship from knowing Jesus. So this is the second part of this passage, verses 23, I mean, sorry, verses 24 and 25. And here the author of Hebrews points out three things, three very important things. The first is that we are called to motivate one another. The second, we are called to meet with one another. And then the third is we are called to encourage one another. So motivate, meet, and encourage. I, I wish I could have made it three M's, but it didn't happen, so... There it is. So after Jesus had risen from, from the dead, ascended into the heavens, he told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to empower them and fill them for mission so that they can go and tell everyone everywhere. And the Bible tells that while they were waiting, they were of one mind and they were of one heart. And then the Spirit came, they were filled, they were empowered, and then they went away to their homes and then they spent all their time by themselves in Jesus. No, it's not what it said, right? For Acts 2.46, this is what they did. And every day, devoting themselves to meeting with one purpose in the temple courts and breaking bread from house to house, they were eating their food with joy and simplicity of heart. Where do you think they got this idea from? They met in large groups, and then they met in small groups from house to house. So they met in large groups in the temple courts, and then they broke away into smaller groups from house to house. Where do you think they got this idea from? Jesus. 
Think about what Jesus did. Jesus would teach to the crowds. You think about the brilliant Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is telling the parables in, in, in Matthew 13. And then his disciples afterwards are like, hey, Jesus, so you, you said some things and we got some questions. I mean, if Jesus was saying some things, I'd have some questions too. Because I'm like, can you, can you refine that a little bit for me? Like, I break that down. Like, I, I, I'm a little dense here. But that's okay. Jesus is understanding. And so here, Jesus is teaching to the crowds, and he's breaking away into smaller groups so that his disciples can ask clarifying questions about what he meant. See, the author of Hebrews is concerned that some of our rhythms and our habits are going to take us away from this rhythm that Jesus wanted to embed in the church. See, Christ came to cultivate a community here on earth, and God wants us to get into rhythms and habits that will change our lives and the lives of other people around us. I really believe that life change that the life change that many of us are looking for is going to happen when you get connected in a circle. I truly believe that life change happens in rows when you're sitting here in church and you're listening to a message. Heck, that's how I got changed. I walked to, somebody preached a message about Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son. I went up to the altar, gave my life to Jesus, and I was never the same. But it didn't stop there. You see, when I first met Jesus, I got connected into a small group right away. The church I was attending had several groups meeting regularly. I actually attended one on a Monday night. Most of the kids, most of the uh, students were my age at the time. And Jesus just got a hold of me. And I got connected to him and I got connected to others. And I grew fast. I mean, I was just following people as they follow Christ. I was like, all right, yeah, yeah, you're going that way. I'm going that way too. And you're going that way. I'm going that way too. Why not? That's what Paul says. Follow me as I follow Christ. And so what did we do? We prayed together. We worshiped together. We met with God together, we were reading the scriptures together, we are holding each other accountable. I met Jesus at the altar and I was transformed, but I got in a group and I grew. I grew in Jesus and I grew in relationships. Later that year, I had to switch my group because I had school and I was like, I can't meet on Monday nights, I don't have them free anymore, so I had to join a new group and it was on Wednesday nights. And guess what? My growth didn't stop just because I changed groups. In fact, I continued to grow deeper in my relationship with Jesus, but also... I met one of the most important people in my life, my best friend. Uh, he was my group leader, and then later on what happened, uh, he was the best man at my wedding. Last week he was out, we were training jujitsu together. I know I talk about jujitsu all the time, but um, sorry, I'm, I'm not trying to be an evangelist or anything, just trying to talk about my life. So here's the thing, my group leader became my best friend, and so here I am, I'm growing with Jesus, I'm growing with other people. I mean, I wouldn't be the person I am here today if it wasn't for groups. Some of you are like, I don't know if I want to be like that, but that's okay. You don't have to be like me. You have to be like Jesus. So the devotion of the early church was to God and to one another. And the author of Hebrews tells us that we're called to motivate each other to good works. Guess what? This can't be done, with, this can't be done alone. You can't motivate one another to good works alone by yourself. You have to meet with one another to motivate each other. So you have to meet with one another to motivate each other. And here's the crazy thing about this. This is a really strong word in the original language, this word for motivate here. It's really wild. Uh, it actually is the word for irritate. So usually it's used in a negative sense, like a bug or insect kind of irritating you. That would be like the kind of sense that you're getting there. Uh, but it could mean to like provoke or stir up, like you would provoke or stir a fire to actually like stimulate it. And I think that's the idea, that sometimes in life, guess what happens? You and I, we tend to drift away. We get a little lazy, we get a little sleepy, and then we just keep drawing backwards and backwards. And then what we need is people to come alongside of us and say, hey, brother, 
You were made for more, like God has more for you in your life. And listen, there is more that God has for you. And here, let me pray with you. And let me actually practice what the scriptures say. Fulfill, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, that's what we're called to do. Come alongside of one another, support each other and help each other grow in the Lord. And so we're called to stimulate and spur one another on to love and good works in the Lord because God has created and crafted those good works before, you, before eternity passed. One of the books of wisdom in the Old Testament puts this really well, Ecclesiastes. It says two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I mean, that's the reality. If you fall alone, then what? But if you're with someone, then they can pick you up and help you move on. And that's what Christian community is supposed to do. When we choose connection, we can do so much more together than alone. For the author of Hebrews, because God has done such a great work in bringing us into fellowship with him, so that now we have direct access to God, we need to be discipled. We need to grow into the transformation that Jesus has for you and I. Discipleship involves the formation of new habits in our lives, and there is clearly the concern that there are other habits in our lives that can form that can pull us away from God. We know what kind of habits these are. There's, there's all sorts of things that we could do that cause us to drift away. But you know what we need to do? We need to look at, our, look at our lives. We need to take an inventory of what we're doing and say, God, is this what you want out of my life? Is this what you want me to do? Like, is this what's going on here? Like, no. Here's what I learned a long time ago. We give up things we love for things we love more. And I was talking to um, a couple the other week, and they were having some marital kind of issues. It wasn't anything serious, but I was just listening to them talk, and while they were sharing with me about their life, and they're like, man, we want this marriage, and this is what we want out of it, and we want to pray together more, and we want to just be a better family together more. And I was just listening to their schedule and listening to their life, and I just realized that their schedule runs their life rather than they run their schedule. Maybe some of you are like, that's me. Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do. This is what I encourage them to do. I said, I want you to take an evening, and I know it may be hard, and I want you just to pray together for a few moments, and then I want you to pull out a piece of paper, and I want you to write down everything that you do throughout the whole week, and then I want you to ask yourself, what's necessary, and where can you find that extra three to four hours that you're going to need in order to build the marriage that you're dreaming of, the marriage that God is trying to cultivate in you? In the same way, we need to sit down and ask ourselves, what are the rhythms and habits of our lives, and do we have life-giving habits? Are we in the habit of meeting together? Are we in the habit of encouraging one another? Are we in the habit of spurring one another on to love and good deeds? Because if we're not, then we're going to fall short, ultimately, of who Jesus is calling us to become. That's the reality. The problem is if we allow the rhythms of life to take control of us, When we allow the tides of this world and the shifting sands to turn us away, then guess what happens? We just begin to drift and drift and drift into isolation and into loneliness. I'd like to invite the worship team back up at this time. So what's the solution to the lostness and the loneliness of this world? To the lostness, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. To the loneliness, here at Evangel, it's life groups. That's what we're trying to do at Life Groups. 
Life groups are a church-wide network of biblical communities, and their purpose is to help people grow together as disciples and followers of Jesus. These groups are made up of followers who have intentionally created rhythms in their lives of connection, rhythms of meeting together, of praying together, of reading scripture together, of caring for one another, of worshiping God, and encouraging one another. I truly believe if you want to grow deeper in your walk with Jesus, if you want to grow in your relationship with him, then I want to challenge you today to take a step and to get into a life group. You can do that simply today by pulling out your phone right now. Some of you already have it out as you're taking notes. And if you're not already doing that, pull it out, and I want you to text the word life group, singular, not plural. But if you text plural, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But text the word life group to 908-325-5163. If you do that, here's what's going to happen. Our community pastor, Pastor Roy, is going to connect with you, and he's going to help you get connected into a circle of other people who are going to help you grow in your walk with Jesus. Now, some of you are already connected into your group, and you're like, this is a great message, Pastor. Thank you so much. I'm telling you that this isn't just a yes and amen sermon for you because you get a gold star. Good job for, for being in a group. But here's something that you can do. There are people that you see that are disconnected people that you know that are kind of drifting away, what I'm telling you is that you too are also called to see those people, to identify them, and to pull them back in. And if they can't get connected to a group that you're in, help get them connected. Encourage them to text Life Group to 908-325-5163. Don't let them drift away. I believe that there are others of you who have been sitting on the sidelines, and right now, you're like, I'm growing in the Lord. You know, I, I get connected into groups here or there. Like we do a big season. That's great and all that kind of stuff. And you've been following Jesus. And you're like, but what, what else? Like do, is, is really just being a part of a group all there is? Well, here's what I want to tell you. For you, actually the life change that you're looking for is probably to help people get into a discipleship relationship, to become a catalyst for connection in other people's lives and become a life group leader here at Evangel. And you know what that's going to be? It's going to be a huge step of faith for you. But I believe if you take this step of faith, helping to lead people, to guide people is going to help you to grow more than any other situation. Let me tell you one last story as we get ready to close in prayer. I have a terrible fear of flying, or I should say have had a terrible fear of flying. I didn't always have it, but after getting caught in a storm on my way to Sudan, Uh, my whole perspective on flying changed. And if you ever want to hear that story, just let me know. Ever since then, one bump of turbulence and everyone on the plane knows I'm a Pentecostal. It's true. But all that changed in my life here at Evangel. In 2018, I was getting ready to go take a vacation trip to England with my wife. And um, I asked my life group if they could pray for me. I said, hey, listen, can you just pray that we have a smooth flight because I hate turbulence, I hate flying. And one of the group leaders said, Pastor, didn't we talk about peace in today's sermons? And it doesn't seem like you have a lot of peace. And I tried to like sidestep, you know, like, like, yeah, I know, like the Lord's growing in me. He's like trying to cultivate something in me. And then some people let you get off, but this group leader wouldn't let me get off. I was like, what is this, pick on pastor night at groups? Like, I didn't understand. But you know what? I need an encounter with the truth because it's the truth that sets us free. It's when we encounter the sun, we're liberated, we're set free. And you know what they did? 
They didn't pray that I would have a smooth flight. They prayed that I'd be, have peace, that I'd be firmly set in Jesus, and I wouldn't be afraid when we hit a little turbulence. And guess what? Ever since then, turbulence doesn't have the same effect on me. Now, I'm not going to sit here and brag because my wife would call me a liar if I said, oh my gosh, I have complete victory over turbulence now. I don't. But people don't know as well that I'm a Pentecostal. Maybe the person right next to me, right? So, but here's the thing. This growth in my life wouldn't have happened if I wasn't in a group. This growth wouldn't have happened if I wasn't in a group. And I'm going to tell you today that the first step for me in seeing life change was getting into a circle with others. And I'm telling you today that for some of you, the next step that Jesus is calling you to in your walk with him is to get connected into a circle with others and start growing in a relationship with Christ. So today I wanna challenge you to look at the habits you're forming, to look at the walk that you're living and see if the rhythms of your life are bringing you closer or further away from that Jesus is calling you to. Are you far away from God and you're like, I need to get just connected to him? Then today I wanna give you that opportunity. If you're feeling that prompting that, Jesus, you're speaking to me. Jesus, you're like, I want to know you in that real and personal, tangible way. Then right now, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hands. If you're feeling far away from Jesus and you want to get connected to him personally in an intimate way, let me pray. Let, let, me, let me lead you in a prayer just right now um, as you're responding to that. Lord, um, I pray that every person who raised their hand today, God, that they would know your forgiving presence, that they would know your forgiving power, that through the cross of Calvary, Lord, you forgave them, that you set them free, and Lord, you want a personal relationship. So I pray that today, Lord, that they would take that step to know you, to be forgiven by you, and walk in that victory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you responded to that, here's what I want you to do. Text the word Jesus to that same phone number. 908-325-5163. Text Jesus to that. 908-325-5163. And we're going to help you get connected and learn to what it means to grow in a relationship with Jesus. For others of you, it's about connecting horizontally. And if you haven't already, 908-325-5163. Connect. Uh, type the word life group. That's going to be the thing that gets you connected. Let me pray for you as we close. Lord, I'm just so grateful for the move of your Holy Spirit today. God, that you're moving in people's hearts and minds and lives and that the ultimate thing that you wanna do is you want to get connected with us. That you want us to be so dialed into your presence, into a relationship with you, that you made a way when there was no way. That you tore the veil when we were completely isolated and separated from you because you love us that much. God, thank you for that freedom. Thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for that healing that can only come from you and your blood and your sacrifice. Thank you, God, that you're ruling and living forevermore. And so, God, now help us to grow. Help us to get connected to one another, to create rhythms and habits in our lives of connecting with people so that we could spur one another on to love and good deeds. God, we thank you, and we're so grateful for the gift of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.